Welcome again, Lakeshore. We're so glad that you're with us today. Smyrna Campus, we are so glad that you're with us. We love you guys. Those of you that are joining us online, we're glad that you're connected with us today, too. We are in a series called Changed, and I thought that clip from the movie E.T., it's a classic old clip, uh, ties in very well with the change and the transformation that we're going to be talking about today as we finish up this series. We've begun uh, talking about how encounters that people had with Jesus changed them radically, dramatically. We started with Nicodemus and how he needed to change from being so legalistic to understanding that he needed a relationship with Jesus. And then we've looked at other individuals all the way through that, that experienced grace and forgiveness and, and transformation because they had an encounter with Jesus. And today we're going to be talking about one of the greatest, most powerful, and dramatic transformations of all. I wanted to close with this one because it is so much a powerful reminder of what Jesus can do as God in the flesh and as God now at the right hand of the Father as our advocate for us today. There were a group of friends who all attended the same church and they wanted to get together regularly and socialize and play games and, and eat together. So they started rotating going uh, to different homes in the group each week and uh, whoever the host was would provide a meal uh, for the group that night. And it was uh, time for Al and Janet to be the host and Janet wanted to do something special for the group and she decided, she checked her, menu, her, her recipe book, she found this recipe she wanted to try where she was going to do mushroom smothered steak. And so she went to a specialty store to get these mushrooms they recommended for this and they had the mushrooms but they were really, really expensive. She said, no way, I'm not going to pay that for this group. No, I just... <laughs> <laughs> She said, no way I'm going to spend that much for mushrooms, for the steak. I, I'll just do it without it. So she came back home, and her husband uh, said, oh, listen, we've got a bunch of mushrooms growing down by the creek out back. Why don't you just get some of those? She said, well, I'm a little afraid to get those. They say some mushrooms are poisonous. He said, well, you could test it. I've seen rabbits. You know, they eat it all the time and all that. But you could try it out. So she went and got some of the mushrooms, and she brought it back, and she cut them up and got them all ready. But she said, well, I better test it, even though rabbits eat them and everything. And they had a dog, so she gave some mushrooms to the dog to try it out, old spot. And he ate a whole bowl of them and just gobbled them up, just loved them. And so she watched him all day to make sure he was okay, and he seemed to be doing just fine. So he, she sautéed the mushrooms and got them on the steak and, and cooked everything just perfectly the way the, the recipe said to do it. And man, the meal was a great success. Everybody said how much they loved it. After they finished, they all sat down in the den and relaxed and they started to socialize and they had some games they were going to play. They started playing those games and then a neighbor came and knocked on the door and said, Ms. Williams, I'm so sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Old Spot is dead. Well, she went into hysterics. She, she decided she had to take action quickly. She called the doctor and told him what had happened. And the doctor said, uh, it's bad, but I think we can take care of it. It hasn't been too long yet. I'll call for an ambulance and I'll be there as quickly as I can. We'll give everyone enemas. We'll pump out everybody's stomach. Everything's going to be okay. Just stay calm and we'll take care of it. So one by one, the doctor got there. The ambulance got there. They took people into the bathrooms and they gave them enemas and they pumped out their stomachs. They, they did all of that that they had to do. And finally, after 
after everything was done, all the people collapsed on the sofas there and the chairs. And the doctor said, I think everything's going to be fine now. And he left. Everybody was weak and just, you know, really exhausted from everything that they had had to go through. And just then, there was a knock at the door. The neighbor had come to the door, said, you know, I meant to tell you, he didn't even stop. He said, what? She said, what do you mean? Who didn't stop? He said, the guy that ran over your dog. Fear of death has dominated the human race forever. We, we spend so much money. And we do so much research. And we develop all these medicines and treatments and everything to find cures for diseases. And we, we try to eat healthier and exercise. And none of those things are bad. Those are all good things. But eventually what still happens? We die. I want to do a survey. How many of you here or listening online have suffered the loss to death of someone that you love? You've gone through that in your life. Yeah, it's a hard thing. How many of you, uh, for you, it was recently, within the last year or so? Yeah, it's a hard thing to watch somebody that you love go through death. My family's experienced it many times, and as a pastor, I've experienced it with families and individuals many, many times. And I've been at the bedside of people as they've died pretty often. And it's never easy to watch that process. But I'm reminded of, even though it's hard for me, and even as a pastor, even having been around it a lot, it's still hard. Think about those people who don't have the hope that we have when they go through that. The people who don't know that even in the face of death, there can still be real hope. Real hope that death doesn't win. Death is not the victor. That we may lose a battle with cancer, but we don't lose the war with death. And, and, and without that hope, I can't imagine what it's like for people to go through that experience. Because we all have people that we care about, that we love so much. And to see them slip off and, and not know what's going to happen to them, what, what happens after that. To not think that there's anything to hope for after that. How, how hard would that be? Well, today, as I said, we're going to be looking at one of the greatest, most powerful transformations recorded in Scripture. And it, it involves a family. A brother and two sisters. It's recorded in John chapter 11. If you want to be turning there in your Bibles, we'll be putting these up on the screen. You can pull it up on your smartphone or tablet. John chapter 11. And I'm talking about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They're a family. And they were a family that Jesus loved. The scripture is clear on that. We have accounts of them going to their home. Jesus and his disciples went to Mary and Martha and Lazarus' home on several occasions that we have recorded in Scripture. Mary and Martha and Lazarus obviously loved Jesus and supported him and his disciples in their ministry. And they, they showed hospitality to them by, by bringing them to their home and having fellowship and feeding them and, and allowing them to stay there. 
They were close. And that's why this story at first seems so hard to accept the way Jesus responds. Let's pick it up here where we're going to be looking at phases of the transformation that takes place for Mary and Martha and Lazarus in this story. The first phase of their transformation is that of desperation. Let's pick up in John 11 and verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. That was at another time that's recorded in the next chapter where Jesus visits their home again. Okay? So the sisters sent word to Jesus. Jesus wasn't there in Bethany with them at the time. He's some distance away. And they send a messenger to Jesus. And they say, Lord, the one you love is sick. I love the way they word the message, don't you? They didn't just say, Lazarus is sick. Come quick. It's not what they said. They said, Lazarus, the one you what? Love is sick. Now, I'm convinced knowing Jesus and knowing his his schedule and knowing how much in demand he was, his ministry is already becoming well known and people are demanding his time and and, an audience with him. and, and, And I'm sure... They didn't call for Jesus right at first when Lazarus first looked like he was sick. I'm kind of stubborn that way when I'm sick. I don't want to go to the doctor. I don't want to, you know, have to, to go get something done. I, sometimes it's, it's to my detriment. I wait till it's really, really bad before I try to do something with it. Now, I don't get sick often. I'm thankful for that. But sometimes I just think it's okay. Everything's fine and I'll wait too long. It could have been easier to take care of earlier on. I don't know how long the sisters waited, but it got to a point where they were, I think, desperate. They saw how serious Lazarus' sickness was. I think they were convinced that if Jesus doesn't intervene, he is going to die. You have to remember, in this culture, for for Mary and Martha, Lazarus, their brother, and that culture was probably... And so he said they, they not only loved him, but they depended on him. You see, in that culture, women on their own have, would have a harder time than if they had either a husband or a brother or somebody like that to help them uh, do business and carry out functions in the culture that you needed to carry out. Lazarus played that role, I'm sure, in that family. And so not only is he a brother that they love, but he's someone that they depended on a lot. And here he is, seriously, critically ill. Now, they were believers, so had they been praying already, most likely? Yes, they've been praying that he would get better. And it hasn't been working yet. He's just getting worse. So this has to be a point of desperation for them to call Jesus to come and intervene. It also shows the great faith that they had in Jesus. Right? We're desperate, and in desperate times, who can you call on? Who can you depend on? Jesus. I mean, he's there for you, right? All the time. The Bible says for us, he never leaves you or forsakes you. So so we, we believe that Jesus is always there for us. So, so here they are believing that, that Jesus is there for them and they can call on him and he'll, he'll take care of this for them. And they do it. They sin for Jesus because they're desperate. Look at verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, 
this sickness will not end in death. Do you know the rest of the story? Lazarus died. But Jesus is saying this sickness will not end in death. It seems a little contradictory when they hear the news a little later on. Listen to what Jesus says. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. In other words, God has a plan here, even with the sickness, even with the terrible thing that's going on, even when you feel desperate, is God still at work with His plan? Yes. And this is a reminder in this account that even when we're in a desperate situation, God is not asleep. God is not ignoring us. God has not forgotten about us, even when we don't see Him responding the way we want Him to. Okay? Now notice it adds in verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. We know these are people that are dear to Him. They are his friends. He's been in their home and spent time with them. And they've ministered to him and supported him. He loves them. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That's the puzzling part for everybody at the time. You heard how sick he was. You love these people. There's nothing on your schedule here for two more days that would keep you here. So why are you delaying? Now, he already told us, but I'm sure they had a hard time grasping it. He's delaying so that he could be glorified through this. But they're probably having a hard time making that connection. And Mary and Martha haven't heard that part yet. And I'm sure they're getting more and more desperate. They sent for Jesus. They knew how far away he was. They knew how long it would take the messenger to get there. They knew how long it would take for Jesus to come if he left immediately. And he's not there yet. He hasn't come. It's been two days now. He was less than a day's journey from where Lazarus was. Why wasn't he there yet? Have you ever felt that way? Especially praying by the bedside of somebody that you love. And you know they're just getting worse. And you're getting more and more desperate because you don't want them to go. And you're asking God, why aren't you here for me? Why haven't you responded yet? Why haven't you done anything yet to change this situation, God? Haven't you seen other people in just as bad a shape, maybe, as your loved one who recovered? People prayed for them and, and, and it got better? Why not this person? Why didn't this one get better? I love them. God, you say you love everybody. Don't you love them? Why aren't they getting better, God? He said to his disciples, Let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? The disciples were probably, this gives us some insight, they were probably thinking, well, the reason Jesus didn't go is because in that area that he would be going to, 
they were trying to hunt him down to kill him. And he would be putting himself in grave danger by going there. So maybe they're reasoning that's why Jesus hasn't gone. And now all of a sudden he says, let's go. We're going to go. And they're thinking, why in the world would you do that, Jesus, when you know they're trying to kill you? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see uh, by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Uh, Jesus is trying to tell them, look, I know what I'm doing. I'm, I've got the light. I am the light. I, I know uh, what needs to happen here. So you need to, to understand, I've got this. After that, he, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. I love the terminology Jesus uses for what he's talking about here. Lazarus is actually dead, but Jesus says, I'm going to go wake him up. He's just asleep. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. (laughs) I mean, if he's resting, why in the world do you need to go and put yourself in danger? He's resting well. He's getting some sleep. It'll help him get better. He'll recover. There's no need to put yourself at risk if, they, if he's just sleeping, uh, they're probably thinking anybody could wake him up, right? You don't have to go there to do that. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly. I love that phrase. Those disciples were just as hard-headed and stubborn as we are. That gives me hope. He had to just get as plain with them as he possibly could. That's why I preach the way I preach. Because I know how stubborn we are, how hard we are to believe and admit that we understand what the Bible says. So I just try to teach as plainly as I possibly can. Make it as clear as I possibly can. So you couldn't possibly walk out of here today without knowing what we talked about and what the Bible said about that. Some people say, I don't get deep enough. Friend, if I got any deeper, you would drown. (laughs) Jesus knows that about us, so he just very plainly tells us what we need to hear. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Get it now? You understand the situation? He's dead. In the Hebrew, that means dead. In the Greek, it means dead. He's just dead. He would have spoken in Arabic. They said he's dead in Arabic. Okay? They all understood now the situation. And for your sake, he says, I'm glad I was not there. Why? Not so I could let him die. Why? So that you may believe. But let us go to him. So we see the first phase here of this transformation is one of frustration. And the fact is, everybody in the story would have been frustrated at this point. Mary and Martha were frustrated. His disciples were frustrated. Why are you going there? You know they're trying to kill you. Uh, Why did you wait so long and then decide to go now? They're frustrated. They don't understand how this is all supposed to play out. Just like we are when we don't see God doing it the way we want Him to do it and the timing that we want Him to do it. When we're asking in desperation for God to help us. Right? Haven't we all been there? Your pastor's been there. I want you to know that every Christ follower has been there where we are frustrated with God. Doesn't mean you don't believe in God. It doesn't even mean you don't love God to be frustrated with God. In the flesh, 
We have expectations of what we think God ought to do, don't we? And sometimes they come from things we've learned over the years in church or in our experience with God. And, and we think, well, it worked that way for them. It should work that way for me. Why isn't it working like that for me when it did for them? And that creates frustration in our relationship with God. Frustration is not a terrible thing, though, if it's, if it's done in a way that causes you to seek God more. So they were desperate, and now they are dealing with the frustration that's been created because Jesus hasn't come yet. In John 11, verse 16, we see the, that frustration being played out a little more, being spoken out more directly. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of his disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now, they're not talking about dying with Lazarus. Most likely. They're talking about dying with Jesus. They say, well, if they're out to kill Jesus and we go there with Jesus, what's going to happen to us? We might get killed too. Uh, so Thomas, you know, he's known as doubting Thomas. I think that's a bad, bad uh, terminology for Thomas. I think Thomas wasn't so much a doubter as he was a seeker to understand. He asked questions. He wanted answers. He wanted evidence to support. If he was going to give his life to this, he wanted evidence to support what he was doing. There are a lot of people in the world like that. That's their makeup. That's their personality. That's not a bad thing. If it causes you to seek, go deeper into what is true and really examine for yourself. Well, Thomas says, well, we'll go with him. We might as well die too. In verse 17, it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb how long? Four days. Are you pretty sure a guy's dead if he's been in the tomb four days? Yeah, pretty, pretty certain. Jesus said it clearly. Lazarus is what? He's dead. Now he's not only dead, but he's been dead four days in the tomb. Now, he could have been dead five days by now because they didn't always get him in, tomb, in the tomb the day that he died. It's four or five days now that he's been dead. Okay? Now, it says, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Remember, Jerusalem was the center of Judaism, and there were a lot of uh, people there. They regularly were there to worship and go to the temple and have their feast days. And so there were a lot of people there who knew this family and knew their connection with Jesus, and they heard about Lazarus' death. So like in our culture today, when somebody dies, you got family and friends that will come over. They'll try to give comfort and encouragement during that time. That's what's happening for Mary and Martha. Now, a lot of people come to the house, most likely bringing casseroles. Tuna casserole, chicken casserole, whatever they got, right? Bringing casseroles when time of death. They're coming over. It says in verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. That might be, we, we don't want to infer too much, that might be that, that Martha is mad at Jesus, but not quite as mad as Mary is. She didn't stop to go meet them got people over at the house got to take care of them you know she could have used a lot of excuses for not going to meet Jesus but whatever it was Martha's the one that went first to meet Jesus look at verse 21 
Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We'll stop there for a minute. I don't know how much maybe just anguish of loss is in that statement or how much anger might be in that statement. Maybe both, most likely both. When somebody you love died and God didn't stop it from happening, you can feel not only anger and anguish, but it can so overwhelm you that you, you're not so sure you want to see God or be with God or even talk with Him anymore because you feel like He let you down. He didn't let that person down, but He let me down. Why me? Why didn't you answer my prayer? And you wrestle with that. We all wrestle with it. Is it something I did? Was I not praying hard enough? Was I not a good enough person? Did I, did I not have a good enough life that God would help me when I needed Him most? Right? Is it something about me or my family that makes us less worthy of God responding than His response to some other family? We all wrestle with those questions. If we're honest, we sometimes wrestle with them and we get mad at God through the process. Maybe mad at ourselves. Because we think maybe we did something wrong that kept Him from helping us. So he says, she says to him, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So at the same time she's upset with Jesus, she's also saying Jesus has the power to do what? He could have kept him from dying. He could have given him life instead of allowing him to have death. So she's got faith in the power of Jesus, but she's mad at Jesus for not getting there and saving her brother. She's not saying Jesus couldn't have done this. She's saying he could have. That's what she's mad about, that he didn't, even though he could have. She believes Jesus could have taken care of this. That's a great statement of faith. We skip down a little bit to verse 32 when Jesus gets a little further in and Mary uh, reaches the place. She comes out of the house. Now she reaches the place where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary and Martha saying the same thing. Both sisters feel like Jesus let them down. We love our brother. We depend on him. He's, he's special to us, so special to us. And we thought he was to you. Why weren't you here? If you had been here, he would not have died. We've got families in our church that have lost children. Unexpectedly, suddenly, to accidental deaths. We've got people here that lost a spouse while you still had young children at home to be cared for to death. It's hard enough when it's a person that's older and you, you know that you, know, you could expect it maybe more at that time. But what about those other times too? They weren't expecting Lazarus to die. They were expecting Jesus to come there and take care of this. So there is this terrible frustration that they're feeling. 
But I want us to see another step that happens in this process, in this encounter with Jesus. And it moves from desperation and frustration to anticipation. Anticipation. Look at verse 21. This is after Martha had said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Do you hear the hope in that statement? Do you feel the anticipation that she's expressing in that statement? Do you know what she's actually saying? Even death itself is not more powerful than what Jesus can do. Even death itself has to answer to God in Christ. Even death itself is not the end, is not the final word. If you know Jesus and what Jesus can do, do you feel the anticipation there? Do you sense the hope in that statement? I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha, like us, wants clarification. We want to be sure we know what he's talking about here. He, she says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I mean, that's, that's the hope that you have in Christ, right? The resurrection at the last day. She's saying, well, yes, I believe in that resurrection. That's, that, that's, that's something that we all have been taught and we all have, have put our faith in and our trust in. Is that what you're talking about, Jesus? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. You say you believe in the resurrection at the last day? I am the resurrection. And the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. So he's not saying they won't physically die, is he? He's saying what will they be able to do? Conquer that. Still live after that. And so the statement could be made then. The next one he makes is this. Whoever lives by believing in me will never then actually die. Death won't be able to hold them. Then he asks the question, do you believe this? That's the question, isn't it? That's, that's the real question for all of us. Do you really believe that about Jesus? That whoever lives and believes in Jesus will not be held captive by death. Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. So, so she says, I believe you are the Messiah. The reason she uses the term Messiah, the Son of God, is because he's the one that was going to bring that ultimate victory over death. And she's saying, I believe you are the one that has come to do that for us. So even in the face of the death of somebody she loved, she's saying, I believe, Jesus, you are the one that has come to give us victory over death. In the next few verses, we see where Jesus asks where they've laid him, and he goes to that place. And this is where the shortest verse in the Bible occurs in verse 35. When Jesus saw the place and the people grieving, it says Jesus wept. Just two words that mean a lot. It means that when you are desperate and agonizing and hurting and weeping over the loss of somebody you love, 
Jesus understands what you're going through. He experienced it too. He knows what it feels like. He knows the hurt and the pain of seeing somebody that you love go through sickness and death. And it moved him to tears to see how it affected them and how it affected him. Let's pick up in verse 38. It says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. That was a, one of the very common ways that they buried people then because they lived on hillsides and they had a lot of dugout places into the side of the hills that they could use for those tombs. And he said, take away the stone. Remember, this is Jesus who just said, I am the resurrection and the life, right? This is Jesus who said, people will live even though they die. This is the same Jesus. And Martha is a little concerned about what Jesus just said to do. But Lord, Martha said, the sister of the dead man, in case you didn't remember who she was. By this time, there is what? A bad odor. For he's been there four days. Just want to remind you, Jesus, what happens when people die and they're in a tomb for four days. The body rots and decays and the smell is awful. I don't know how many of you have actually been around the smell of death, but it's not pretty. It's not pleasant. One of the most repulsive things you could ever be around. It's awful. Just think about a dead animal, right, that you... Pass by on the road in your car. If you hit it and stir it up a little bit, that odor comes into the car. The rotting flesh odor out in the hot sun on a summer day, it's a terrible thing. Well, they're in a climate that's a hot, dry climate, and you can bet after four days the odor in that tomb would have been really bad. Even though they prepared with perfumes and spices, it wouldn't overcome that odor. I think Martha was concerned that not only will it smell bad, but it would be embarrassing. She probably felt like it would be a little bit disrespectful to Lazarus and the family to open up the tomb and have, I mean, their family's there, their friends are there, people have come from Jerusalem there, they're all there to comfort them. It would be embarrassing for the family and disrespectful to open up that tomb now and have everybody smell their brother rotting in the tomb. But Jesus said in verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? <laughs> see, that's the question, isn't it? Once again, if you believe, what will you be able to see? The glory of God. Even in the face of death, even when you don't think God has answered that prayer for you, if you will continue to believe, He says you will be able to see what? The glory of God. But you've got to keep believing to see the glory of God. Even if it's been four days, or 40 days, or 40 years. If you believe, you will what? See the glory of God. Even if the body's rotted, even if it's decayed, even if it's dissolved. If you believe, what will you see? The glory of God. That's what he's saying. Which leads to the final phase I want to cover today. 
They've gone from desperation to frustration to anticipation where, where they thought, they've said to Jesus, you know, even now, Jesus, you can do whatever you need to do. Uh, uh, whatever, whatever, Jesus, we know, you know, God can do great things. And we, we, we are looking forward to that. We're, we're anticipating that. They've gone to that, that place of anticipation. But the next phase is celebration. The celebration that they so longed for. Verse 41, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, now believe me, when they took away the stone, the odor came out. It did hit them. It probably knocked them back a little bit when the odor came out of the tomb. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. So what has Jesus been doing already? Praying, talking to the Father, right? The whole time he's been talking to the Father. He knows the Father's heard him. And he says this, I, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. In other words, he said, Father, I'm saying this out loud, not because I thought you didn't hear me before, but because I need these people here to know that I'm talking to you and that you hear me, that you have heard me the whole time, that you sent me here to deliver this hope to these people that are so hopeless right now. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice. And I, you know, I've seen this portrayed over and over again, and I don't know how Jesus said this, but it was in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! You've probably heard some of the people say, it's a good thing he said Lazarus, because if he hadn't called them by name, all the graves would have opened up right then. But he particularly called for Lazarus, right? Lazarus, come out. Verse 44 is the most amazing verse. The dead man, reaffirming to us he's been dead four days now, at least. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, the way they would have buried him and uh, prepared him for that. And a cloth around his face, they would have had a face cloth over him. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Can you imagine, as they unwrapped him, And they saw this was the guy they had put in that tomb. See, see, up until then, they may have had a little doubt. Maybe this is an act. Maybe this is a trick. Maybe this is not the real thing. But when they took that face cloth off, what could they see? This is Lazarus. There are people there who knew Lazarus intimately. His two sisters are right there, Mary and Martha. They would know for sure this is their brother. They see this is Lazarus alive again. They had seen him as dead as a person could be, and now they see him walking alive. Unbound by the grave clothes now, free to go on with life. It says in verse 45, one of the biggest understatements of all, Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Well, yeah. Wouldn't you? You just watched somebody do something that nobody ever in the history of the world had ever been able to do. Even today, with all of the science, with all the technology, with all the advancements we've made in medicine, even today, never ever has anyone been able to do what Jesus just did. 
And he has hundreds of witnesses around to see it when he does it. Can you imagine the celebration that broke out? The praise that broke out when Lazarus came walking out of that grave. You see, if you believe, what will you see? The glory of God. He wanted them to believe it before Lazarus walked out of the grave. He told them he could do this. He would do this. And that's what I want you to know. That's what we all need to know. When a loved one of ours has died, it doesn't mean God forgot about us. It doesn't mean God stopped loving us. It has nothing to do with God loving somebody else more than he loves you. It means he's working, even in that, for his glory. And if you will hold on to your faith, if you will keep believing in God's timing, what are you going to see? The glory of God. The person alive again. One of the greatest things I live for is that great reunion that's going to take place when Jesus comes back and we go on there to that new heaven and new earth that he has prepared for us. And we're going to see the faces of our friends and our loved ones, those people that we, we miss so much that are going to be there that have gone ahead of us. If you believe, you will see the glory of God, the work of God, the life that only God can give. But you have to believe. And still people doubt and question. And here's the thing. Yeah, but he raised Lazarus from the dead. Well, he, he, he brought him back to life while Mary and Martha were still alive. Well, they were able to see that experience. They got Lazarus back. Why couldn't I have that? As if that somehow would have been better. Like we can tell God what's the best thing that needed to happen. You know what Mary and Martha and that whole family is going to have to experience again? What's going to happen to Lazarus again? He's going to die. You see, on this earth, the wages of sin is what? Death. We've all sinned. They're going to have to go through the pain and the agony and the loss and the hurt all over again. Why would you want that for anybody? When if you just believe, what will you experience? What will you see? The glory of God. Not only that, but Lazarus himself, who had gone through death already, is going to have to do what again? Go through death again. Why would you want that for somebody that you love? Why would you want them to have to go through that again? When they've already gone on to something, where they have already seen the glory of God. Why would you want them to have to leave that? And not experience that anymore. You see, the hope that we have in Christ is not that death doesn't exist. It's that we have victory over death even though it does exist. And death was not God's plan for us. That was the wages of sin. That's not what God wanted for any of us. That's why he brought Jesus to the earth to pay that price on the cross for us. So that we could have that hope of victory over death. So that we don't have to grieve like people who don't have that hope. You see, what God wants for all of us is that we don't have to live one more moment of one more day in the fear of the shadow of death, thinking that somehow death wins. 
If you believe, death loses every time. Death is not the victor. Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, Father, we know death is hard. We know that's not what you wanted for us. It's not what you created us for. But we brought it upon ourselves with our rebellion, with our sin. We, we brought the suffering that comes with sin, which includes death, into our lives. And Father, you could have left us in that hopeless situation. And you could have done it rightly so. It is what we deserve. But in your love, in your grace, in your mercy, you wanted to give us the hope that we find through the power of resurrection. And that's in Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. Father, if there's anybody here that does not at this place in their lives already have that hope, I pray that through the working of your spirit, that you would penetrate into their hearts and help them to begin to anticipate the hope that you want to give them and that even today they would be transformed from, from having desperation to, to having anticipation, even to having that great hope of eternal life so that even today they can be buried with Christ and rise up with that celebration that death no longer wins. That today they can claim the victory of eternal life in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen.